0: What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off The Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. Dave Hendricks is the co-founder and CEO for Tala. In this conversation, we discuss the structural issues in the legacy system, how we can fix it, what it means to tokenize venture-funded companies, and how you at home could benefit from this movement. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do as well. Before we kick off this podcast, first a word from our sponsor, BlockFi. As many of you know, crypto investors store their digital assets on exchanges or in cold storage for long-term safekeeping. However, this strategy doesn't help them grow their investment holdings or build overall wealth. With the new BlockFi interest account, users can now securely store their Bitcoin or Ether at BlockFi and receive 6% annual interest paid monthly in cryptocurrency. 6% 6% is an absurdly high rate. It's the best rate in the industry. I highly suggest you go check out blockfi.com pomp. Again, that's blockfi.com slash pomp to sign up and start earning crypto today. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, bang. I'm here with Dave. Uh, We got a bunch to go over. Thank you very much for uh, doing this.
1: Yeah, it's great. Great to be here, Pomp. Sure. Fun, fun week here Blockchain Week in New York. Absolutely. Let's, um, let's
0: start with your background, uh, for those that don't know. What, uh, how, how did you get here? Who are you?
1: Well, I, you know, I got here in a, in a funny way. I got here through um, databases, I think, is kind of what I've been doing my whole career. I started working on databases uh, when I got out of college. I worked for Arthur Anderson, and I had done some database work in college, and so I helped work on securitizations for a bunch of projects they were doing, taking assets and doing securitization of assets. I left Arthur Anderson and I went to work on um, the real estate cleanup, like the, the Resolution Trust Corporation. In the early 90s, the s crisis happened and all these unsecured loans were out there and all these people defaulted. And so the government had to create this agency called the Resolution Trust Corporation and they had to take all these you know, real estate assets and then sell them to people. So I, I got into the, uh, the securitization business. We created databases that ran over fractional T1 phone lines. It was totally uh, janky and uh, primitive. Mm-hmm. But I, I got into securitization and kind of creating these, these database products. And then I went to work for Oracle, got into more databases, and then I started working in startups. How I really got into the so-called blockchain space uh, in this this crypto environment was that my last company raised a Series D in 2015. In the middle of that round, the VCs asked us if we could provide uh, a spreadsheet uh, listing of everyone who'd worked for the company and all the documents that they signed. Well, we had most of that information, but it wasn't complete, so we had to reconfirm like get consensus with everyone who worked at the company as our agreements. It almost blew the round. It was a $35 million funding round. And 40 days into the diligence, it almost blew the diligence. So I never forgot that. And when I finished working for that startup that I co-founded, I started working on this idea. The idea was what if organizations could get consensus and connect with the associates, the people that work with them, and have a shared understanding of the documents they signed, like the stock agreements, the options, et cetera, in a system that both parties could access. So in 2017, I started building that with my my co-founders, Gautam Goudreau, who's a former SEC attorney, and William Baxter, who's a PhD from Berkeley, who's our CTO. We built that for my last company as this ledger, a distributed ledger for human capital. And we we looked at using an ICO to raise money for it. And this is in uh, September of 2017. But Gautam, who is a securities lawyer and you know, really kind of you know buy-the-book guy, he said, We can't do we can't do an ICO. So we went to our lawyers at Lowenstein, Sandler and Deloitte, the tax guys we were working with, and we started figuring out how to do a a, a security of you create a fundraising object that wasn't an ICL because we wanted to raise equity. So we started in October of 2017 to do a Reg D, SEC compliant security token, and no one had done this before. We had couldn't find anyone doing it. And we had to build all this stuff. Well, we were doing this to raise money for this project that we had come up with and build technology for. By the time we issued in March 2018, this this, uh, this Reg D security token to the investors in the company I had fallen in love with the problem of solving this for other companies. I said, you know, everyone's going to need a way to manage equity on a blockchain if they're issuing a blockchain native asset, they're going to have to manage the holders on blockchain because they're going to want to trade on exchanges. They're not going to want to Trade paper, they're going to want to trade tokens. So uh, 15 months ago, we decided to jettison our old idea of, you know, like an HR, you know, HR data ledger on blockchain. And we said, let's just focus on self sovereign ownership of securities on blockchain. And that's kind of where Vertalo, uh, the, the company that, that we created, uh, kind of just dived headfirst into you know, digital assets space.
0: Got it. And, and so let's talk a little bit more about the structural issues in the traditional world, right? I think a lot of people, um, when they think of uh, these tokenized securities, they're just thinking of, uh, oh, there will be valuation changes. It'll give yeah. people outside the United States access to, uh, to certain assets. Um, but there are these structural issues here in the U.S. and the private companies, right? right? And I think that two components of it. So one is uh, there's really, really long lockups, right? We just yep. saw uh, recently both Uber and Lift go public uh, there's more companies that are kind of coming down the pipeline some of these employees have had illiquid wealth for almost a decade Yes. Yeah, right sure. i mean just a really really long time to have uh access to wealth that has appreciated a lot right mm-hmm. so there's an element that by holding it they, they were able to uh to, to get um appreciation but also they could not get any form of liquidity right they were yeah. kind of locked in there um that's one piece the second piece also is the investors right mm-hmm. there's many investors who say hey look I don't believe that the company is going to be worth more in the future than it is today mm-hmm. or uh, I think that it's overvalued or you know whatever yeah. it is they would also like some liquidity how do you view those issues are those just things that you know they come with the territory because we've got such a great private markets and it's access to so much capital or the things that can be fixed like just kind of talk me through how you think of the structural issues
1: well this can definitely be fixed. Um, you know, you spoke a couple of weeks ago to uh, John, I think, from Shares Post. Yep. And and before that, second markets. You know, uh, they 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 were in this this business of ta- of providing uh, secondary liquidity for venture funded assets. Um, so it's it's not a new thing. The, what's What's new about how digital assets can positively impact that is by programming the liquidity into the asset itself programming the rules into the asset. Um, the the current way that stock is managed and, and securities are managed or options are managed uh, on cap tables is disconnected from markets. It's, uh, it, it's typically in a spreadsheet or it's behind a firewall connected to nothing. In, in order to access that, uh, well, first of all, you don't even own the shares. They're not in your possession. So you don't have the right or the physical ability to even move them. Mm-hmm. They're not bearer assets. You have to get permission to sell them. Um, and so the, the what we're doing across this, in, in this industry, if you call it an industry, it's pretty nascent right now, is trying to find ways to introduce efficiencies into this market. And the efficiencies really come from proven ownership of the asset. Ownership, self-sovereign ownership in your wallet as opposed to proxy ownership uh, on on a cap table or uh, or something else. So what you're able to do um, in this case is during the course of a lifetime of a company, like the 10 years of Uber, you can make a decision, if this is done correctly, as an early investor that once you got 20x return, like, you want to sell now. You're good with 20x. Yep. You know, you, you know, there, you're, you might, you you could stick around and wait for, for 30x or 50x, but you know, a lot of people are going to be pretty happy with 20x. Mm-hmm. It, it, today, you can do that. I mean, shares post and some other uh, some other uh, venues offer trading, but not every company enables or allows you to do it. Mm-hmm. I think the revolution comes in companies understanding that not everybody wants to get locked in forever and that there and there needs to be a status between private company and public company of a semi-private or semi-public company mm-hmm. where you say look I should have the right to sell this once it's vested to someone that fits a criteria that we that you agree on and I should be able to be able to do a cashless exercise and then sell it to someone you know that meets these criteria and and get out here's where that that idea that idealistic idea meets reality a lot of boards a lot of investors a lot of CEOs like myself don't necessarily want their employees to have that kind of flexibility because the lock in is is critical for a lot of people for valuing a company mm-hmm. they say look we don't want people to be able to come and work here for 2 years and leave and take gains
0: mm-hmm.
1: We we want them to stay much longer. Why do you think they don't want people to do that? Um, I I think because one they don't want to have a valuation for the share that's different than the 409 a. Mm-hmm. The four, so if, if, if you're uh, you're probably familiar with it, but for the for the listeners, if the listeners don't know what the 409 a is. Um, every year, or uh, once a company gets going, like every six months, they have to run through a valuation process. And the valuation process is an, is an IRS requirement to help value the underlying shares. That valuation process is called a 409A. It takes a look at the investment in the company, the the um, the economic conditions, the market that the company is in, discounted cash flows. There's basically a professional process, and they come up yeah. with, hey, company is worth. X price. Right. And then that is the price that's used to set common share price, which is what's granted as options, and it underscores the preferred price in the last round. Mm -hmm. Now, when you do a 409A, there's always a risk or a chance that you're going to be valued lower than you were last time or higher, but this is a regular process. What what a, a private sale does, however, is sets a different price often than a 409A price. And so some, um, some investors are leery about letting, um, letting there become a, a unfettered market in shares that they're invested in. They'd prefer to control the price, especially bigger, some more sophisticated investors don't want there to be a reduction in the share price. How does a reduction in share price happen in a private transaction? It's called the illiquidity discount. So, because because there's not a market for your private venture-funded company shares, if you go and sell it to somebody else, they're going to say, well, this is not a liquid share. I'm going to pay you 20% less than the last valuation. Well, now that creates a lower valuation for the share. Now, of course, some investors don't want you to do that. That's the kind of cultural impediment to the free-flowing exchange. A private venture funded shares, as as I've heard it said from VCs, and as I understand it, as a, as you know, a CEO and a and a guy mm-hmm. who runs a company. That I think, though, that the benefits of having um, uh, of of getting investors off of your cap table and giving later investors the opportunity to buy more into a company it outweighs those pricing considerations. Mm-hmm. I I think that. I think there's a lot of talent in the market that's locked up in companies that could either go and take their talent to another company and help grow another company and not rest invest. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I think you could create a lot more entrepreneurs that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that the funds for, you know, you're an angel investor. Mm -hmm. I think that, imagine the companies that that you're still in that you haven't been able to get out of, imagine being able to recycle your funds. As an angel, you got your 10x. Mm-hmm. Now you can go and invest in 10 companies instead of that one. You can go and write, you know, you put in 25,000 and you get 250,000 out. Now you can go make 10 or 20 more investments into more companies. I think that if we, can, um, if we can free some of the capital and some of the talent from these venture funded companies, we'll actually see a blossoming. Of what what
0: about entrepreneurs who say that um, there's a huge uh, concern? About uh, employees start paying attention to the stock
1: price rather than focus on building the company. Um, when I was at Oracle, uh, there uh, I can tell you, public companies, there is a tremendous uh, focus on price. Um, people before 1999, people would uh, would trade options ahead of earnings announcements. They had there was a lot of inside information. It was it was rife in public companies. Private companies. Um, there's no, there's no real price. Um, no one really understands the price. Most employees don't. Um, I, I, I think you do. You do want to avoid um, mercenary behavior, mm-hmm. but I think we already see mercenary behavior. We already see people who come in and negotiate um, their option agreements as X, and we see people leaving after one year. They'll take their, they'll take a quarter of their uh, grant. And they'll exercise it one year after they, and they go to another company. Mm-hmm. This in the Valley, this happens all the time. A lot of people go work at companies for a year or so. They get some shares, and they go and work on the next hot company, and figure mm-hmm. that one of those uh, bunches of shares is going to pay off. For sure. So, so there are people, uh, you know, the there are people who are playing this game already. You know, my you know my my argument is that uh, companies can control this process better. Mm-hmm. They can incentivize their employees better if the, if the regulators start opening up to the idea of letting these companies take uh, some of their common and, and uh, offer it in things like Reg A+, mm-hmm. and, and then open up these markets to exchanges like something like LTSA, which I think we should talk about. Um, where you can say uh, say this tranche of of shares is now going to be sold on LTSC and that regular investors um, you know say just you know mom and pop investors can get into uh, Uber or Lyft or something at $10 a share Mm -hmm. and then $35 a share is a home run Mm -hmm. okay Um, and uh, I, I think the mechanics are there. There's, I don't think there's anything holding this back other than it's not been done before.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's talk about the long term stock exchange. So, LTSE, um, this is a, uh, a relatively new thing. Eric Reese uh, has started yeah. his company. Uh, maybe describe just a little bit about
1: what it is and, and why you think it's interesting. So, LTSE is a project that Eric Reese, who's the author of The Lean Startup, um, started working on in 2016. And the, the idea, as I understand it, uh, and it was really under wraps for a long time, is that there needs to be a, a more venture-friendly, uh, more entrepreneur-friendly stock exchange than, than the incumbents of the NYSE and NASDAQ. Um, interestingly, uh, the LTSE is invested in by and in Horowitz, who themselves have made some very interesting investments recently. Um, there is definitely um, a role for newfangled, uh, rehypothecated exchanges. We've already seen this with Binance. I mean, Binance is a really, really interesting exchange. We've seen this with Coinbase, mm-hmm. where you where you've got these new models that are they're buying and selling digital assets. Uh, you've got Binance issuing its own coin so that uh, so that um, projects can do initial exchange offerings and do essentially IPOs mm-hmm. uh, right onto Binance mm-hmm. with a different kind of underwriting and diligence process. Mm-hmm. There's no reason why we need to continue to run exchanges exactly the way NYSE and uh, NASDAQ have been run. Mm-hmm. Why don't we run one that's meant for uh, you know, venture-funded companies to to onboard and get liquidity sooner. Mm-hmm. I think that's the idea for long-term stock exchange. I, I think that um, with the tens of thousands of companies that are venture-funded, having another path to public markets that doesn't require them to be a billion-dollar company mm-hmm. that enables them to maintain uh, governance that you know, like they have as a private company, a little different voting rights. I think that's fantastic. I think it's really really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, initial coin offerings and initial exchange offerings uh, allow projects to, main, to be private while raising funds. Mm-hmm. That's what's that's what's super interesting about uh, about those types of fundraising models. They weren't selling equity, mm-hmm. um, and because they weren't selling equity, they weren't selling voting rights. Mm-hmm. Um, Companies like Facebook did things like creating different classes of shares, so they could issue shares to the public, but they weren't issuing voting rights to the public, so they could still run their companies. So, how do you keep a company thinking about its like its long term business plan without having to kowtow to the street? or worry about activist boards, Mm -hmm. or people coming and diverting its mission. Mm -hmm. I think that's the goal of the LTSA. That is, I think, what the projects raising via ICO, STO, or IEO have the same capabilities. If you raise with a uh, non-dilutive instrument, you're not giving away any rights to vote, you're not giving away board seats, and then you can do whatever you want. That doesn't always work out, mm-hmm. um, but I think that's a kind of a caveat emptor with the investor. The investor should say, "Okay, well, I'm going to invest in this company, even though I don't have voting rights." You know, I we think see it in public market.
0: Oh yeah, right. People yeah. are still investing in equity without voting rights. Right.
1: And so, um, having a founder-friendly um, governance model. A a faster path to um, public scale liquidity, getting a currency from that, um, from that, from going public in that way to make strategic acquisitions. That's all great stuff. I think that what they're doing, and I don't, I, I don't think any of us know enough yet. I don't think Eric is really, um, and the team is fully disclosed what their grand master plan is. But if bringing liquidity to venture funded companies while letting them retain control and focus on the long-term is that, if that's their business model, I applaud it. I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and how do you think uh, this affects the public markets, right? Whether it's tokenizing these companies earlier, it's a long-term stock exchange. How, how does that have an effect on the public markets?
1: Well, the, the public markets are, uh, well, you know, the, the big exchanges are still um, competing for marquee names.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, they're, uh, that model, uh, hasn't changed. I, I maybe maybe it causes them to introduce efficiencies that they don't have right now. Maybe the listener listening requirements change. Um, you know, if if you know, as soon as unit economics change, um, you know this is this is an innovator's dilemma thing. So LTSC, I think, is probably classic innovator's dilemma type of company. They're going to go after uh, like a, a a segment of the market. That NYSE and NASDAQ doesn't look at. Mm-hmm. Um, these are smaller market cap, mid mid market cap companies that they haven't pursued. Mm-hmm. And you know, funny enough, if, if you look at innovator dilemma, innovators dilemma companies, they go after these segments that big folks say is t- are too small. It's a monster and a baby thing. Mm-hmm. But what happens is it, everything inverts mm-hmm. eventually. This is the same thing with paper certificates versus digital assets. Right now, a lot of big companies and you know big banks, et cetera, are not focused on issuing digital assets or thinking about digital assets because they're like, oh, the market's too small or there's, there's no liquidity or anything like that. Well, suddenly what happens is there's a flipping. Right now, 1% digital assets and 99% paper certificates, mm-hmm. but there's going to be a time in the next couple of years when that's going to switch mm-hmm. and no one's going to want to invest in companies that... That are not don't have where the we don't have liquidity where the asset ownership is by proxy. Mm. They're gonna they're gonna want to have control over that. Companies are it's it's not going to be an odd thing anymore. Um, so, it, LTSC, like every other smart applicant to SEC and FINRA, uh, has not mentioned the word token. If you look at their if you look at their um, their filings, and I read them. Mm. Looking for telltale signs mm-hmm. of digital asset tokenization. I didn't see any there. Mm-hmm. My understanding is that you don't want to put those into your application because then they get put in a special drawer, mm-hmm. okay? Um, and that drawer doesn't get opened a lot. Mm-hmm. So um, digital you could, app, because, you know, because you could always add it later. You could you could always add it later. And by the way, you know my my company Vertala, we recommend that companies when they're raising money to begin with don't mention or don't say we're raising using a token. Mm-hmm. We say we're raising money. Mm-hmm. And then what you want to do is optionally later on in your in your documents mm-hmm. you say we may issue our preferred shares or certificates in digital asset form at a later date. Mm-hmm. And then you get you actually provide optional token tokenization. Because eventually, just like anything else, I, you know, we're going to move from carrier pigeons to 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 uh, to wires. Okay, mm-hmm. that's happen. That that will happen. Um, but if you tell if you tell regulators you're doing something with a token right now, that that lessens their interest. Their their Willingness to approve. If you tell investors that they're buying a token, that winnows down the number of investors right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think you've seen this yourself, uh, you know, f- firsthand. What you have to do is you have to say, Hey, look, this is a great company. Go invest in this great company. LTSE is saying we're going to make a great new stock exchange. which has got, you know, some modernized governance. Mm-hmm. Uh, Capabilities, and um, we're not saying, "Hey, look, we're going to make this thing that if you don't love tokens, you don't want to be involved in this." Because yep. because token immediately, and you, you introduce the word token in there, and you there's a binary element there. that People either can't invest because their bylaws say they cannot invest in a, mm-hmm. in a token or something, mm-hmm. um, uh, or uh, or or they're or they're just scared because they don't understand. They don't know what is there going to be exchange for me to trade this on. Mm-hmm. So. So, I expect LTSA, when you take a look at what Andreessen's done with their hundreds of millions of dollars of funds, mm-hmm. with their investment in Carta, with Carta's uh, focus on creating Carta X, which is private exchange, mm-hmm. um, with uh, you know, uh, Andreessen invested in Harbor, you, you know, I think you're, you know the Harbor guys really well. There are all these little pieces, if you take them, if you just look at them singularly, mm-hmm. they don't really mean anything. But when you take a look at their uh, Andreessen Horowitz's investment, I pay a lot of attention, and the fact that they rehypothecated their firm into re- into uh, uh, registered investment advisors, mm-hmm. I see. I think you see a trend there that reveals itself as saying. The path to venture funded liquidity, mm-hmm. is through a, a digital asset strategy, mm-hmm. but we're but it's just not. It, we're just not walking around with a sandwich board uh, on the street telling everybody that we're putting together the pieces. Yeah, how, how do you look at um, what is doing? I think what is doing is uh, is it's smart. Um, you know, in full disclosure, Vertalo, my company, is a digital asset uh uh we we use we use blockchain as the database for cap tables mm-hmm. it's you know it's still a cap table for any kind of company mm-hmm. the database happens to be blockchain mm-hmm. carta is a cap table company they happen to use a centralized database mm-hmm. behind a firewall as their database mm-hmm. for their cap tables mm-hmm. carta is creating a something called carta X mm-hmm. uh I'm not sure if you saw their fundraising deck I did not uh, but they're you know, what they're doing is they're, they're primarily VC company focused right now and they, they, they see the trillions of dollars of assets that could be put onto cap tables and then sold on private exchanges. Mm-hmm. A private exchange that they're going to manage called Carta X. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that Andreessen sees and understands cap tables to be the, the, the key asset for any companies who, who owns the stock and mm-hmm. how much they have. I, I think what CART is doing by creating an exchange to sell private assets at scale is a great idea, mm-hmm. um, and I applaud Henry and their investors and Tribe and Andreessen and all these other folks. I applaud them going in this direction. Um, I still think it's a, it's it's a it's not a zero to one improvement though. I still think it's it, it's it's kind of point five. Mm-hmm. If that if that exchange is private, it's still going to keep a lot of people out of being able to buy and sell these things. It's certainly uh, going to keep non-accredited out um, because it's going to have those kinds of restrictions. Mm-hmm. Um, but the concept of bringing those assets that are on a cap table in private companies and putting them on an exchange just like conceptually is great. We. Vertalo, our business is predicated on connecting those cap tables directly to exchanges like, uh, like Binance or mm-hmm. T0 or Open Finance or any, or a broker's ATS, broker mm-hmm. dealer's ATS uh, directly. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference in the databases is who owns the stock. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you own it in your wallet mm-hmm. and you have the right to sell it? Today's cap tables don't enable you to have that capability. You still have to go make a request. You still have to go through a very inefficient process. I think Carta needs to fix that inefficient process of the proxy ownership of the stock mm-hmm. and move it closer to the investor. Mm-hmm. And in our system, it's uh, we have a smart contract that connects the investor and the issuer, like the company and the investor, and the investor actually possesses the stock mm-hmm. in their wallet. And if they can, if it's not restricted, if it's past its reg D date, will they? It's it's got program. It's programmed yeah. with its selling restriction. What's Carter going to do like this? I don't know. The deck is the deck doesn't say a lot. I'm sure they've thought about this a lot. They're really really smart folks. Yeah. And what are you guys doing at Vertalo? So what we do is we uh, we help onboard uh, investors and in their wallets in an AML compliant fashion onto cap tables, which use the blockchain uh, like Ethereum or, uh, or Hashgraph or any, any chain mm-hmm. um, as, uh, as the database. We then uh, give investors a lens to see what they own mm-hmm. and then we take uh, tokens that either we produce or that any issuance platform produces, store them in that cap table and then connect them to exchanges mm-hmm. so that they can be sold when the restriction's up, subject to the liquidity that's programmed into the token. Mm -hmm. So what we believe is that um, spreadsheets and firewalled cap tables are disconnected from secondary exchanges. Mm -hmm. What we do is we take the the assets, we put them in the control of the investor, Mm -hmm. and we connect them directly via API to exchanges. We make it a lot. We bring the assets one step closer to secondary liquidity. Mm -hmm. Um, And we also, solve this other problem, which which a lot of employees don't really know, uh, is a problem. Um, uh, contracted knowledge of ownership. Like, you don't even, like, if you could have, you might have thought you got granted stock options because you signed an offer letter to a company. Mm-hmm. And you, you show up and they told you you were getting 100,000 shares. You don't even know if those things were ever granted because you don't know what happens at a board meeting. Yep. Um, so we think it's super important for people to know what they own and have possession of it. Uh, we're working with one, uh, one chain right now, I can't tell you which one it is. They have a thousand contributors who've been granted their uh, tokens, their coin, mm-hmm. uh, uh, that protocol's coin as, um, as compensation. Mm-hmm. They can't use a cap table to manage the vesting and distribution of those coins to their contributors for the for building this chain, so they're coming to us because what we're able to do is manage the vesting mm-hmm. and lockups and transfer restrictions for like basically a blockchain ESOP. Yep, um, you can't do that in these third in these uh, you know firewalled. Um, uh, Cap tables. Yeah. How how do people at home benefit from this,
0: right? Like, let's say that I see that if I'm sitting at home, I'm a retail investor, I see the trend that's happening, uh, I believe that this is where the world is going how do I benefit, right? Or, or how do I participate in
1: this? The, the first folks that are running these deals are broker-dealers. That we, mm-hmm. Brutallo primarily works for, through broker-dealers mm-hmm. because broker-dealers are the ones, there's 3,000 of them in the U.S. Broker-dealers are the ones who are really going out and soliciting the public. Republic is a broker-dealer. Um, uh, Circle just bought Seed Invest. Seed mm-hmm. Invest is a broker-dealer. You've heard of maybe Entoro or mm-hmm. U.S. Yep. Cap Global. They're all broker-dealers. Goldman Sachs is a broker-dealer. Um, broker-dealers are the ones who solicit investors um, for funds for projects or companies. Mm-hmm. The first place where most retail investors are going to see digital assets are through broker-dealer solicitations, crowdfunding, Reg CFs, mm-hmm. Reg A's, Reg D's, all these things are being offered through broker-dealers. Mm-hmm. So, um, my, my partner, Gautam, is a broker-dealer, securities lawyer. We, we got involved in the broker-dealer community from the start because we thought that the broker-dealers were the force multiplier amplifier for digital assets.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what the broker-dealers are looking for are ways to reach the public um, with compelling things to invest in. Mm-hmm. The, what, they, what they say at the, on their deal pages is, this deal... Is a security token, or this deal is equity, or this deal is debt, or this deal is a coupon. The the investors are going to get introduced to these deals via broker dealers mm-hmm. who are, uh, for lack of a better word, peddling um, these offerings uh, on on their site. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. I th- you know, the ones that in this in our community here, the folks who are listening to you, the ones that they would be most familiar with are Republic, which is an angel list um, uh, affiliated company, and the other one is Seed Invest, which is just bought by Circle. If you know, I think that those kind of crowdfunding uh, businesses are the businesses that are most likely to introduce the concept of a digital asset to um, to the public. But you know, truth truth be told, uh, you know Coinbase has already done this really, really effectively. I mean, that's the fir- the real, you know, kind of alpha digital asset. Obviously, is mm-hmm. is Bitcoin, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that just that just doesn't isn't an equity element.
0: So. Yeah, it feels to me like a lot of the people sitting at home they want access to uh, innovative companies, yep. right? So imagine if you could own Uber early on, et cetera. Yep. Um, but there's gotta be some guardrails, right? There's gotta be access to information, there's gotta be- um, Diligence. Yeah, d- the ability yep. of diligence, yep. you know, all, all that kind of stuff, and so there's a, a balance between um, a young company still trying to figure things out and mm-hmm. what they want to share and, and how public that is and what the nature of it is, who they're sharing it with, all yep. that, versus that retail investor who would like to provide capital, right? Um, kind of, you know,
1: wh- where's the benefit and where's the cost at? The, this method using security tokens or digital assets for capital formation for a company that has no track record is dubious. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't think it, I, a, a token doesn't make a company with no track record more investable, it makes it less investable. I think that's, I think you've, you've said that in various ways yourself. I think, mm-hmm. um, so, um the broker dealer, the reason why broker dealers are so important is because the broker dealers provide, do the diligence. The reason why Vertala works with broker dealers is because we don't want to have to go and do diligence on, on a whole bunch of companies and then to you know, win them on to our platform. Mm-hmm. We're also not a broker dealer, so we don't solicit funds. Mm-hmm. Broker dealers take a look at a project, and if you trust the broker dealer, you're, it means you are trusting their diligence and their project selection. Mm-hmm. Because broker-dealers take the risk up front. They have to spend a lot of money before they bring a deal to their investor base. Yep. So I think that, you know, the these companies, the Seed Invest, in Taurus, the Toros, the US Cap Globals, the the um, the Republics, are the place where the retail investor are going to see these companies. And they'll, they're going to see companies that have gone through a very very extensive diligence process before they show up on someone's site and um, like no one should expect everything to pop like Zoom popped a yep. couple of weeks ago beyond, That's what, me beyond me I mean you know um, the, the, the notion that uh, look Facebook you know, you know you're, you're a Facebook holder Facebook dropped, Alibaba dropped um you know, Twitter dropped. These mm-hmm. guys all dropped. You know, they all had semi-semi uh, failure IPOs in a way, mm-hmm. um, because suddenly they went public and they had to disclose. Um, the difference with that and these digital assets is that there's going to be like you were asking before. There's going to be a bunch of information asymmetry here. They're pri- they're still private companies. Yep. Um, and uh, a year after the after you buy their digital assets, you might have the right to sell them. after the restriction comes up. But you might not, there might not be enough information for you to price it to figure out whether you're, you know, that's that's yet to be determined. That's that's yet to be determined. Those are part of the rails that need to be built. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just because there isn't massive liquidity right now doesn't mean that there's not going to be improved liquidity later. Mm -hmm. Uh, The one thing that digital assets have that is an improvement on a paper certificate, like an early stage investment, is that a digital asset, a Reg D digital asset, in one year, you will have the right to sell it. Mm-hmm. It will be liquid before an asset, like a bef- before some angel investment you made, le- made last year mm-hmm. in some company. That company is not, you have no control over the liquidity of that company. But if you invest in a digital asset based instrument, you at least have a hope that there's some way out of that position after the restriction gets out and that's the alpha feature of digital asset is programmable liquidity after a restriction or lockup is ended yeah that that that's a feature um and that's not a feature that you find in traditional assets where you where you you like make an angel investment or early stage investment you're like you're on the you're locked in there you're you're going to be there long for the ride and it's very very unlikely that the um the investors the the board etc are going to let you out mm-hmm.
0: unless
1: you want to take unless you want to like take 50 percent of you know of the price that you think it's worth for sure uh where can people find out more about vertalo so uh come to uh, vertalo.com um and it's V E R T A L O. Uh, yeah, V E R T A L O dot com. Uh, we're Austin, Texas-based company. If you come into, if you ever visit, visit Austin, Texas, you know, give us a ring. Uh, you can have taco for every meal <laughs> in in Austin, Texas. It's fantastic. Absolutely. Um, and uh, and we're growing our presence here. Um, in uh, in New York as well. So uh, thanks for having me on the show. Oh, and, we're not uh, done yet. We got to do I rapid fire questions. Oh shoot! Oh man. <laughs> what uh, what do you think the most uh, important crypto company is? Um, I, I, I have to say that right now it's got to be Binance um, uh, from on the exchange side. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think that um, those t- CZ is just a wicked wickedly smart person very very transparent mm-hmm. um and, uh, and very innovative mm-hmm. super super smart um, uh, I, I you know for all the trouble that ethereum has had mm-hmm. i think that ethereum as a as a as a movement has been surprisingly um, resilient mm-hmm. um, and that and so i am i i i i i i i in, i i People have some people have written off Ethereum a little too early. Mm-hmm. They don't understand that there's a there, there's so such a big developer community, and there's a there's there's a switching cost even in this decentralized world. There's a switching cost. Um, uh, certainly, uh, uh, Dharma, the MakerDAO project, some of these uh, staking projects are uh, state super interesting mm-hmm. projects. Um, it's really hard to put a list together because there's so many people innovating in so many different areas mm-hmm. uh, that I'm, I'm impressed with. Um, I just love that this is a um, uh, experimental <laughs> industry and uh, it's in, in people can change, it's okay to change your mind.
0: For sure. Yeah. What, uh, what's the one regulation you would change or improve if you could?
1: Uh, I, would, I would change um, the accredited investor laws. I would um, I would lower the uh, I, would, I would lower the threshold to you know uh, some just some income <laughs> just like not a test necessarily, but you're if you can buy if you can invest in public equities and there's a lot of information asymmetry in public equities okay. um, and it's super hard you should be able to invest in some of these private companies I think the reason why people PE doesn't want non creds in is because it's too expensive. You can't. It, it's it's hard to have someone invest a thousand dollars in a private company. It's very expensive. Mm-hmm. The mechanisms aren't there to make thousand dollar investments in private mm-hmm. companies. For sure. What um what's the most important book you've ever read? Uh, I really liked The Power Broker uh, by Bob Caro. Mm-hmm. It's a it's about um uh, Robert Moses. It's kind of about the recreation of New York. I think uh, that's a super interesting one. I also think the um, it's, it's, it's about this thing. It's the first book that Robert Caro wrote. And it, it, and, uh, and Robert Moses built all the bridges and parkways and tunnels around New York. It's really the way New York was was formed. There's another book, if you're an entrepreneur, which is super useful. It's called The First Tycoon. It's about Cornelius Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. It's about how he changed unit economics in transportation. And started first with ferry service between Staten Island and New York, and then went to trains. Okay. Um, and that guy was just a—he was—he was brilliant on so many different levels. So that's a great book. Aliens, real, not real. How could we be so arrogant as to think that we are the only sentient beings in the universe? Um, because we've never seen any other ones. Well, we don't. You know, um, we we may not be able to perceive them. Uh, I I I think that um, the the math. If you believe in math, if you're in this business, you're definitely a believer in math. The probability that there are other beings uh, is is very very high. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, you know I, I I you know I joke that uh, that Bitcoin was was a gift from aliens for us to re-hypothecate our financial system and, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know uh, do I, I think one thing though I think that every uh, every other society must have had oil I don't think that any other planet oil is the magic is the spice it's the magic substance on this planet mm-hmm. which creates chemis- chemicals medicine, transportation, energy, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I think that any other uh, alien civilization we find must have also had oil, because uh, cause the without oil, none of this that we're doing here is possible without yep. hydrocarbons. Yep. So we look for hydrocarbons, and, uh, and I'd be interested to find out from alien, other aliens, how they went from hydrocarbons, which are the most amazingly portable source of power that we found other than the atom, mm-hmm. and how they how they evolved safely from burning hydrocarbons to other forms of energy. Mm-hmm. I just think that hydrocarbons would have to be the um, air-breathing, water, hydrocarbons. Those are the... Com- I have to expect, I'm not an astrophysicist, of course, that that's the commonality between all advanced industrial um uh societies and the in the in the universe mm-hmm. that they would have to have those things they have to have hydrocarbons and they had to have started with hydrocarbons i don't think aliens breathe <laughs> <laughs> I, I think aliens are going to be are going to be really really similar to us and and you know i think dna is the most amazing programming language ever yeah, of and, course and and you know why wouldn't that be you know do you know you know, I love AL. I love the topic We to go on this one for days. What it's one like, question do you have for me? So, um, uh, Bitcoin not blockchain or Bitcoin and blockchain? Uh, I think Bitcoin is a blockchain, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So there's no. It's but
0: all the do same you think?
1: But do you believe that blockchain? Has a value as as a database or as a as as an underlying layer for applications or business on top of it, other than Bitcoin. Well, Bitcoin is it is the database of
0: Bitcoin right so I, I forget all the nomenclature I just think that yeah. there's going to be digitally native assets yeah. that need digitally native accounting right because yeah. the assets are their computer files and for them to be financial that's, assets that's, that's what need triple, triple entry accounting mm-hmm. um, and then there are digitally native contracts that will govern all of the transactions that are involved yeah. but it's just this is all uh, around automation <laughs> yeah. and it's for the machines right and um, the whole idea of like Bitcoin, not blockchain, blockchain, not Bitcoin. I think it's all stupid, right? Like, that's exactly um, what I was hoping you'd say. I, everyone knows I only hold Bitcoin. Um, I believe that's where, you know, a lot of this will get built eventually. Uh, in terms of both on the protocol and also as a uh, as an asset mm-hmm. uh, i don't know a better store value asset in the world if you have a long time preference than bitcoin
1: um, and yeah.
0: so that's where uh, i choose to store my wealth um, at the same time i think that uh there's a whole bunch of different ways to digitize you know value and the transactions of value mm-hmm. some of it will be on blockchain some of it won't be right mm-hmm. so we don't even need blockchains for some of this stuff yeah. um that's and very so, true uh, i think that uh yeah, they're just kind of two very separate things that aren't mutually exclusive.
1: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, we built Vertalo as a, a on blockchain as an asset ledger because we think that there's no better ledger for asset ownership mm-hmm. than so-called blockchain databases, to distributed ledgers with consensus, mm-hmm. where there's no double spend capability, yep. and we're, uh, the, we're in self-sovereign ownership mm-hmm. and the ability to con- and the ability to sell. Uh, by this exchange model so um, uh, it's it, we're, we're, we're excited for the the basic applications similar to, to Bitcoin or, uh, or game-changing and I think it, you're, you're right I think it's a fantastic store of value. Did you, why didn't you ask Kevin Leary about how he values bottles of wine though? You know how 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 come one bottle of wine is worth a thousand, and why another bottle of wine is only worth thirty bucks?
0: Kevin uh, O'Leary is an entertainer when he's on television. Right. I wasn't too worried about trying to convince him to uh, to buy Bitcoin. He, that was a great uh, segment. I, I think he is uh, much more bullish than uh, than he lets on, which is uh, which is fine by me. Yeah, was a good character. So. Any time that we can create content uh, on the national stage like that, and uh, then have it go viral on the internet, I think is good because it just uh, again it just it. The digital asset in the conversation uh, in a very kind of um, legitimizes the conversation. Well, it's it's just created in the same conversation as other assets, and so it demystifies it, I think, right? Which is uh, is important. Mm -hmm. So, all right, listen, I appreciate you doing this. Um, I think that uh, there's a whole bunch here to unpack in terms of the tokenization of assets and how, um, you know, kind of the ownership of that will change, uh, and also how the governance of businesses. Uh will change over time. Um, so there's a lot of work ahead. So <laughs> much but, uh, but thank you very much. Want we'll to do it again in the future. Thanks a lot, Mom. It's great. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening to that podcast. Before I let you go, one more word from our sponsor, BlockFi. Their new interest account allows you to securely deposit your Bitcoin or Ether at BlockFi and receive 6% annual interest paid monthly in cryptocurrency. This rate actually compounds. So you receive a 6.2% APY, which is very attractive given the alternatives. So you can actually take your Bitcoin, you can deposit it with BlockFi and get paid an interest rate of 6% in return. Go check out BlockFi.com slash POMP. Again, BlockFi.com slash POMP to sign up and start earning interest on your crypto today.